In five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today, we have Diana Wang. And we have an intro. Diana is a yoga enthusiast, enjoys building community around cooking, uh, is also a consultant and researcher in aging and psychology. She is Chinese-American and moved to New York City a year ago after being in LA for about eight years. I guess technically... Uh, somewhere in Brooklyn, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, also, also, we should call her Dr. Diana because she has a PhD. So, so uh, I prefer <laughs> Princess Diana, actually. That's my cartoon line. <laughs> Dr. Princess, uh, Her Highness, <laughs> Diana Wang. Kidding. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, that's a better angle. Um, Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. And how how did you end up here? Like here, right in this moment? Yeah. How did, how yeah. did this happen? <laughs> what is right. the story? <laughs> so um I met uh another guest on your guys's podcast, Jackie Tran, um, who is, <laughs> from what I gather, one of Hugh's close friends from a while back, maybe what high school? Um, and then uh I met John at a birthday party or something like that of Jackie's yeah. yeah just like maybe two months ago mm. we started talking and had some great conversations and then John was like by the way I have a podcast about <laughs> you guys so here I am yeah yeah Yay. so cool welcome Yay. um let's see what else what else I feel like I feel like I feel like at the at the party we were talking about about like what you like to do and then your research and then there was a point where where I was like dude I think Diana is overqualified to be on the podcast oh my god it will <laughs> it will be an honor to have her on that's uh, you're flattering me <laughs> um but yeah do you mind talking a little bit about your background um like what you're into not not just work stuff but then like your dreams and aspirations like what you're into um also fun fact Diana saves lives so <laughs> she she uh you can tell that story as well <laughs> sure sure um no I I just realized okay so this is we're starting on a very big tangent already but um John actually lives very close to Manhattan's uh wild bird fund which is a bird sanctuary that takes in injured and orphaned birds that you might just like find around and so this Sunday just like a few days ago I was with a friend and we were about to go biking and we walked into her garage and found this little bird, like a sparrow stuck on a glue mousetrap. And so she and I like took it and basically like released it from the trap with the help of, we like went to a vet. And then in order to like truly rehabilitate it, um, we brought it to this wild bird fund. Um, and so I was, yeah, since I, I was here, I was like, oh, I'm going to go stop by and see how it's doing. And they just told me like half an hour ago that they released it because it can now fly on its own and eat on its own. And it's just chilling in Central Park. So it made my day. It was like very cool. That I, that. I, you know, he lives like literally around the block from this place. And yeah, but yeah, it was this, uh, it was a whole like fiasco when we found it. It was very scary because it was super freaked out little bird and like a bunch of its feathers were broken and like torn off on the mm. trap and I don't know I guess I also just like learned a lot about um like how harrowing it is to have glue traps that mm. other animals can get stuck on so like 
we were like reading a little bit about just uh, the ethics of having mouse glue, tra- glue traps. Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't know about that. But anyway, so that's a <laughs> that was like a, a strange thing that happened over the weekend, but not <laughs> not the biggest part of my identity. Um, but yeah, so as for my background, um, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I can start with just like basic, you know, education and all that. Um, I, in undergrad, I studied biology and neuroscience, uh, but always had this interest in aging and like older adults. Um, in high school, I'd worked in a nursing home. Um, when I was a kid, I was partly raised by my grandparents. Uh, and so I, I just kind of had this affinity to like older people. And at some point was like, oh, maybe if I want to make an impact somewhere, it would be on this population. So uh, throughout undergrad, I got into doing like uh, psychophysiology research. So like health psychology research, understanding the ways that uh, stress and other psychological and social factors influence uh, the aging process. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very cool. And I got very into research. Um, I kind of fell into this lab that became like a surrogate family. Like everyone was just like, all these grad students uh, kind of took me under their wing and like taught me how to do uh, independent research, come up with cool question to answer and like find the right methodology for it. Um, got to travel to some cool conferences and like network with uh, researchers from all over the world. Um, and so it just kind of really inspired me to like continue on this research path without actually really thinking too deeply about like, okay, uh, what do I actually want to do with it? Like, I, I wasn't really honed in on like, oh, I need to be a professor at a university doing research, but I was just like really passionate about uh, answering these questions and being in the lab and like mastering techniques. And it was so cool. So then that brought me to grad school, uh, which brought me to LA. Um, so I ended up doing a yeah, actually at this like turning point, I, I was applying to grad schools. Um, all over. Uh, I was like going for a master's of public health programs. It's focused on aging um, as well as PhD programs and just ended up uh, having, yeah, getting into this one at USC, uh, the Davis School of Gerontology. So um, seemed like it was a great way for me to get this like breadth of knowledge and training on all different aspects of aging, like policy, demographics, uh, biology, sociology, psychology of aging. So I uh, went for that. And then there was a faculty member there who I really liked and I got to work with her um, and like deepen my skill set and like, like statistical methods. Um, and so, yeah, kind of went there, did grad school for five years and then um, went to a postdoc also at USC uh, where I did a little bit more on uh, measurement methods. So the use of survey methodology and like uh, the analysis of continuous physiological data that you can get from say wearables, for example. So it's like either if you're pinged and you have to answer a survey question throughout the day about how your symptoms are um, or just like continuous heart rate monitoring, things like that, that you can get from your Garmin watch or Fitbit, uh, et cetera. So yeah, that's, uh, I'll pause there. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's kind of just my background up until like last year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, now I'm a consultant, so <laughs> I definitely jumped ship and uh, left academia. Um, that was like a whole tough decision that I had to think mm. through a lot about. But um, yeah, now now I get to do consulting within industry for pharmaceutical companies and biotech and sometimes wearable companies. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a ride, has its ups and downs, both. <laughs> so yeah. You're incredible. Uh, stop. <laughs> I just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Where do we even start? There's so many possible know. questions, John. Oh my goodness. He, he was also thinking, oh, she is overqualified. No, there's no, okay, there's no such thing as overqualified, right? We're just, it's like- We're just kidding. We're just kidding. Uh, I mean, being in really academia, so yeah, being in academia, you actually perpetually feel underqualified because, you know, you end up like, <laughs> you end up like getting a lot of depth in one small area. And then you are so acutely aware of everything you don't know about it um, <laughs> or like the world doesn't know about it or like, or what you personally don't know to that depth of everything else. So there's like some serious, uh, strong imposter syndrome sometimes where I feel often underqualified. I mean, yeah. that's not, that's not unique to academia. That's, okay. <laughs> that happens at, yeah. for anyone in any job, yeah. except, except for Hugh. Hugh, Hugh uh, by the way, is a, director of design at his company. Okay, and cool. Dude, this guy just makes it look easy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's <laughs> cool. Stresses every day. That's funny. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> anywho, yeah, who knows? I don't even know. But really, I'm kind of curious on following up with a question of, I was reading, you know, we had this Google form and mm -hmm. there's your background of it and everything that you've done. And you were saying you did research on social relationships, stress, and breathing techniques. Yeah, yeah, separate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can tell you a little bit about each um, each of the questions broadly. Um, so the bulk of my research for my dissertation was all around understanding how the giving of support is actually potentially beneficial for the giver. Um, so. Uh, in health psychology, the field of health psychology, it's um, generally pretty well understood that uh, there's like all these like, like models and like frameworks around, uh, you know, when you receive support from others, uh, generally, it makes you feel better, it, it like buffers mm -hmm. your stress. Um, it Yeah, so it's, it's good. Generally, it's a good thing. Uh, unless, for example, it makes you feel like um like dependent yeah or like infantilized or something like that but um but yeah then we my advisor and I our whole lab really wanted to understand uh especially within older adults um it's you know uh does the giving of support actually confer any benefits and so we we got to looking at that question with a lot of different um from a lot of different perspectives using a lot of different methods. Um, and so, yeah, we, we did find a couple of cool things. Um, one that uh, generally speaking, uh, recipro reciprocity is very important. So uh, yes, giving is good, uh, good for your psychological well-being, your levels of 
uh, you know, reduces potentially your levels of stress, depression, anxiety, uh, increases positive affect or like happiness. Um, but uh, it's, it's only good really in the context of a reciprocal feeling relationship. And so that's actually something that, um, you know, we found in a pretty re representative sample of Americans um, and a, a lot of them. I don't remember what the sample size was, but it was just like a lot of people. Um, and yeah, I think I try to like apply that to my own life. I, I really like doing that with um, research that I read or uh, stuff that I've been involved in. And so that's, that's one of the things. So uh, listeners out there. Uh, give to your friends freely <laughs> um, and to your relationships. It's, it's good for your health and it's good for your, um, you know, well-being, uh, but also do so in a way that's uh, makes you feel like it's, it's a fair uh, mm -hmm. give and take. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, some other things that I did um, in the middle of my program, I actually, my uh, advisor, that I started with, she actually left USC, which is like a whole set of, caused a whole set of challenges. Mm. Um, but on the bright side, um, I got to be adopted by another faculty member. Um, and so I kind of joined her lab, um, finished out the other projects. Um, at, but then since she was starting up this whole series of uh, this like meditation breathing technique intervention I kind of like backpacked onto that and like had oh. a little little section of it uh that was mine and so uh this is actually still in the process of being published like it's it's under currently undergoing rounds of revisions and um yeah one of the lab members that I worked with um she's still taking the lead on like resubmitting to the journals and uh addressing all of the uh reviewers comments and like it's it's such a long process you know this this has been going on for at least four years now so it kind of gives you an idea of how slow and um you know long uh the academic research process can be sometimes for for something to go from like data collection um all the way to publication and you know hearing about it in the media things like that um, but we're bringing the the latest content on oh, the yeah. podcast. Yeah, this is cutting Great. edge, <laughs> pre-published, pre-peer reviewed mm -hmm. stuff. I'm telling you about. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I'll I'll loosely, I mean, I'll from a high level explain this um, breathing technique that we focused on. It was it's called heart rate variability biofeedback, um, mm -hmm. and so yeah, without getting like way too technical, it's basically um, if you breathe a certain, in a certain frequency, if you breathe a certain number of breaths per minute, um, it actually regulates your autonomic nervous system in a way that kind of, uh, is just good for you. So, uh, one thing I like to bring up is that, um, do, do you guys think that your heart rate is like, constant like it's like a metronome like no. beat 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 no okay do you think this because you have experienced like variations in it mm -hmm. okay so yeah so I used to think that um your heart rate was just like kind of constant um but we know that um actually it varies with every breath that you take 
Um, and so, in fact, with every inhale, um, your heart rate increases. And with every exhale, your heart rate decreases. And like, there's, mm. there's a reason for that. It's like you're, there's something, uh, yeah, you have like the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And these two branches are kind of always um, like in a dance with each other um, to regulate your heart rate. And one is the kind of the branch that speeds it up, speeds up your heart rate. One is the one that uh, slows it down and breathing regulates it. Um, and so, yeah. Have you heard of a uh, Wim Hof? Yeah. Yeah, I've tried it once. <laughs> oh, you've only tried it once. Yeah, I, tried I, I just assumed you're like you're like, oh yeah, we're we're buds. Like we we, <laughs> oh, we do breath work all the time. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. No, I remember my lab mates and I would like talk about his method, but I, yeah, I think he's definitely tapping into a lot of these like processes. Uh, yeah, for Wim Hof, I remember only doing it where you like hold your breath and then do a bunch of push-ups or something. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, cool stuff. You can do a lot with your breath. If you can control your breath, people say like you can control your mind. Um, and basically this is, this is kind of, uh, I buy it. <laughs> I've like experienced, we've all experienced, experienced it. Um, yeah, I've had, I've had the experience where, where I take an extremely cold shower, oh. but I'm, I'm just fully in control of my breath mm. and I, and I'm like, there's like cold water coming on me. And, and I just, I just like observe the cold water on my skin, but it doesn't change my breathing. Mm. And so I'm just like, and as, as it's like ice cold water and I'm just like, and like not shivering at all. Wow. But I, yeah. Wow. I, I, I did that. I did that for fun in the UK because one would be uh, like <laughs> deathly hot. And then the other one would be like, ice cold and I was like I'll just try the ice cold and like just train myself to do it oh my god how long did it take you how many times did it take you to get to the point of uh really controlling uh a few weeks wow okay yeah one time one time I remember I went to the I went to the shower and my my housemates were like laughing mm -hmm. and then I, sh I shower and I come back and, th and they're like oh you're you're okay and I was like what do you mean and they're like oh the hot water is broken oh my god and then I was like I was like oh I, I take cold showers anyways and then they were just like what the fuck like, <laughs> <laughs> wow do you still do that now oh I wish I wish showers could be cold enough the worst the worst thing like my future home will have you know how the the shower and also okay. it just has one thing mm -hmm. and then if you want it hot you go all the way but when I when if you want it cold uh if you want it really cold then like there's not that much water that comes out because it's mm -hmm. only one so mm -hmm. my future home will have will have more than one like big nozzle like I'll have wow. a hot and cold okay like, I, it's it's the worst thing and I see it everywhere so wow wow I should yeah. try that don't yeah. they say like you know, take a cold shower, it like trains you to do things that are uncomfortable. Right. Oh, that's yeah, this is this is stuff I heard like after the fact. Okay. I did it, I did it for fun. <laughs> Admirable. Wow. Um, quick question to John. When you did that, would you just 
I, would you step in slowly but surely or would you just be there and then have it just go so, yeah so um so traditionally it's like you know you want to like jump in so that you're you get used to it all at once mm -hmm. but that it became too easy to jump in and so what I would do is I would slow like if it was like a cold pool because it was harder I would like slowly walk into the water would expect nothing less that's, that's too funny but, but this is this is not the John Kim cold shower podcast right? I know I was gonna I was gonna transition wow. right there so back no. to Diana you're good no 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 great, great try Diana great try Happy. <laughs> Happy to I'm kind of curious Hybrid. you said it was not peer-reviewed yet and the findings haven't been released you most likely but is there anything that kind of has been you know more or less what's the conclusion for some of the breathing techniques or what are some optimized mm -hmm. forms of breathing techniques that you all have found to be helpful like what's the heart rate oh sorry the breathing rate per minute or something yeah yeah sure sure um so the it's six breaths per minute about six breaths per minute or five oh. and a half uh, and that that's been known already. <laughs> John starts right away. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gives you like basically uh, 10 second breath cycles. So uh -huh. five and a half seconds in, five and a half seconds out. And what is that optimizing for? That's optimizing your heart rate variability. So back to what I was saying with like, you know, uh, op, you know, the it's not a metronome. Your heart rate is not a metronome. This breathing technique actually increases the amplitude of your, the variability, um, in your heart rate. So, yeah. So if you, if you can breathe at that rate, uh, you know, in our study, we did approximately five weeks of, uh, 20 minutes, two times a day, working up to 20 minutes, two times a day. I think we started the participants on like 10 to 15 and then gradually went up. Um, do they then, like follow a timer? Yeah, yeah. There's actually a device that you can oh. uh, get. Um, we use the one from the HeartMath Institute. Um, and you can, it's like an ear clip where they uh, can sense heart rate. Um, and then you have a an app uh, or could be programmed on the computer uh, to show you like your heart rate as you're breathing and it gives you cues on when to breathe. Uh -huh. And so for each individual, it can also, that average, you know, six breaths per minute, it can vary a little bit depending on like the volume or height or like gender, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's the intervention is um, breathing at that rate uh, consistently every day for about five weeks. Um, and yeah, the finding is that it does help with emotion regulation. Um, and so when you're, yeah, when something comes up um, and uh, say a stressor, you're, you're trying to regulate, um, you are actually better at like calming yourself down or like just coming, you know, coming back to your own homeostasis um, after this kind of training. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, so that's at the high level, uh, what I can say <laughs> right now. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's so cool. I actually have one of the devices. I nerded out and got one because I was like, hey, I feel like, you know, got to get out on this. Like, uh, there's already some evidence. Like, why don't I try it? And I do use it when I'm having like a particularly, uh, you know, like stressful time at work. Sometimes before meetings, um, I will uh, do the the breathing for about like 10 minutes or so. And there are definitely apps out there where you don't need a, like a high-tech device, um, where it just like shows you this kind of average, uh, pace and, and you can just try it. I I've like, if you type into like app store, heart rate variability, biofeedback, I'm sure there's like tons of free, um, options out there that pretty much do it. So heart math monitor Institute, if you want to sponsor the podcast, and email us <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah I uh these are all kind of examples of things that I've gathered from some time in academic research and uh, I'm all about you know yeah we can be doing all that research but trying to disseminate it to you know at least close ones and loved ones um uh, or even broader so yeah Cool. I'm I'm curious about uh, the research that you did with aging. So, is gerontology is the study of aging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm sure I'm sure like broadly there were a lot of things that make sense. Mm-hmm. Like probably good to wear sunblock. Mm-hmm. Probably good to <laughs> sleep eight hours a night. Probably oh, yeah. good to exercise regularly, eat well, all that all that stuff. But yeah. uh, from from your time doing research, was there was there anything that you thought was like surprising and and useful and like and just like not something that you expected? Yeah, um, one of the first lessons I learned uh, was actually an undergrad uh, where I took the psychology of aging course, um, and I think what's interesting is okay, so I mean things are shifting now, but generally when people think of aging, they think of decrement, right? They think uh, there's decline in physical functioning, uh, in cognition, you know, um, you think about all the wear and tear that happens on the joints. And like, as you're alluding to like the skin, like skincare, you know, anti-aging skincare, like all of that. Um, However, it's like, there's overwhelming amounts of evidence that the psychological and social well-being, uh, as you get older, it just increases like a lot. Mm. Um, and and so, yeah, I think that professor who taught the course on psychology of aging wanted us to get that takeaway, where it's like, yeah, you know, of course, there's age-related disease, age-related declines, but let's not forget that um, there are all of these gains that you get from aging and growing older and they're really powerful and they, they can be harnessed, you know? Um, so for example, one of the things is, uh, that we know is after around age 50, um, your subjective well-being uh, just increases, uh, up until about age 80. And then there's like a slight decrease. Um, but yeah, so we just generally get happier as we age. Um, there's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, one of them also is that things in midlife are t- tend to be tough. 
Um, you might have more strain in midlife, more stress. Um, there, yeah, there's could be a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, one of the main theories on why things get better as you age is that um, it's called socio-emotional selectivity theory. That's um, a big word. I know. Yeah. So breaking it, it down, <laughs> breaking it down, socio-emotional, it's just like the portmanteau, like the, the combo of social and emotional, um, selectivity. So like being more selective theory. Um, and so this theory, uh, posits that basically as you get older, uh, and more accurately, as you see a time horizon coming closer to you, um, which means, you know, as you see death coming closer to you, um, your goals and your motivation shifts uh, such that you, you want to spend more time uh, with people who kind of guarantee you a good time. Uh, so like, as a result of that, actually your social networks shrink. Um, so your social circles shrink, but that doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean it's necessarily like, oh, we're getting more lonely as we get older, just because it's like we keep up with fewer people. It's actually that the quality of the remaining relationships are better because you select them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just really like that because it's like, oh, you kind of realize like time is precious and then you want to spend it with the people who matter. Um, and you invest more into those ties. Hopefully, hopefully that's something more people realize before they turn 50. I know. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Um, I also I also suspect a part of it has to do with not caring yeah. about, <laughs> about things anymore. It's like mm-hmm. on the extreme ends of the spectrum, you have like babies because yeah. they're like, I'm going to pee right now. I'm like, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> and then you have really old people that are like, I'm going to fart right now. Like, I don't. I yeah. Don't like, yeah. Yep. I have seen that a lot at, <laughs> at the places that I worked. Um, yeah. It's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I'm just going to do what I want. Um, yeah. And there's also like kind of this like mellowing out effect uh, where people tend to pick their battles a little more and like they tend to just deal with things in a way that's like, it just uh, evades conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. It's like you, you get like the whole uh, um, stereotype of the lonely curmudgeonly old man or something like that. But it's like, really, no, the data is showing us that things just look kind of rosier as you get older. Um, another piece of that uh, theory is that you actually have uh, greater attention to and memory for positive things relative to negative things as you get older, which is also really cool. Cause then it's, it's literally like, oh, you know, you might have more like rose colored glasses, uh, as you go through life or remember things. Um, so yeah, that's another cool thing that I learned. And I always think about it. Cause I'm just like, okay, well, how do I apply that to my life right now? <laughs> like remind myself that, you know, maybe a couple of decades from now, like things won't matter as much. So try, try and apply some of that to my life now. Um, I, I, I think yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Tell me more. I, 
I, I asked when I when I'm making a hard decision, I asked myself, what would 70 year old me wish he did? Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> and and then when something sucks, I. I'm not perfect at this, but but usually I'll, I'll try to be like, OK, does John Kim in five years, like how much does he care about this? Mm. And like sometimes he cares a little, but most of the time it's like it's like, oh forgot about it (laughs) so yeah I think that's I think that's important to to keep in perspective not not to like glide over every problem like Mm -hmm. there's still Mm -hmm. hard hard problems to work on yeah but but yeah I mean I I will I will say like I have I have hard days like anyone else not Mm -hmm. not above it all but I I try I try to, I try to keep it into, in perspective and yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I think that the other thing is like, the other thing is like, I, I, I want to, when I'm like, I'm 30 years old right now, like I want to do the thing that looking back, I'm just like, hell yeah, I did that when I'm 30. Yes. So, oh, I love that. Yeah. Living, living a uh, half of Hugh's potential uh, is my goal. <laughs> I don't I don't yet have I'm the one that needs to visit you man I haven't made it out yet it's so bad I'm gonna be 70 and I'm gonna be like why did I not visit John before he moved away from New York I'm a bad Aww. friend I'm going to I swear I'm gonna make this happen <laughs> we'll, 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 I'm figuring this out well last time he said he would uh picnic <laughs> we would have a moon tea podcast picnic I love it oh, yeah Park. I forgot come, come yeah. back do it let's do it I love picnic yeah, we should totally. <laughs> Me too. Come I think that'd be so fun yeah we should totally do a minty picnic in central park ah in the next two months let's make this happen john really cool sounds sounds good <laughs> it's a it's a recorded on diana's podcast so <laughs> kind of follow through <laughs> with it here <laughs> i know I, I think this is a it's a very good point I do have a quick question, though, on the actual topic, though, of of aging and um, elderly. And in America, something that I'm kind of curious regarding, I noticed that you're of a Chinese-American background, which I also am of. I'm a mixed blood. And so I have a bit of this, like, cultural conflict sometimes. Mm -hmm. And as one who's, like, has kind of, like, Anglo-Saxon and Eastern cultural dynamics as well as being born and raised in America I'm kind of curious of what your perspective is and or what you've found research-wise possibly statistically wise regarding how let's just center it around American culture regarding how we treat take care perceive the family values of how we take care of our elderly and how we treat that situation versus other cultures Mm. Such a great question. Um, yeah, I think about this a lot. Also, even though I, yeah, I'm was born and raised here, I do, I am very close with my grandparents and uh, family in China, uh, and I, I've gotten to witness like by traveling to Shanghai, where my extended family is, and you know, being here and during some periods of my life having the grandparents like in my household, like in a multi-generational household. Um, yeah, I've thought about this a lot too. And uh, I guess 
man, I, I see that, um, I see that in the U, I, don't, I guess I don't want to make like blanket statements here. So uh, I, I guess everyone any- research on your own, but <laughs> take with a grain of salt what Diana's about to yeah, say. But yeah. All 50 year olds get happier. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> it only gets better after it gets worse for us. <laughs> uh, Midlife. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think everywhere, like, all over the world there are situations where older adults are isolated um and especially during covid you know like that was that has been very bad for like mental health and uh physical health that the isolation uh for everyone not just older adults right um but yeah i think uh, it is true that in um Asian cultures or in cultures that value family and um, have it be more of a norm to have multi-generational households, um, there is more like, yeah, there is more integration between the generations and and there's a lot of good that comes from that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think that's all I have to say about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah like the thing that I'm wondering right is kind of a lot of elderly probably past 85 maybe from what I've kind of read if they don't have a is this true kind of is um, there's a higher mortality rate and those that have less social connection and or attachment and or support from family or loved ones and or social cultures is that have you seen that anywhere or like because then that's the question that follows is yeah. <laughs> right, like the multi-generational household versus sending your elderly and loved ones to uh, older people yeah. house housing communities. Yeah. 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 Um. Actually, yes, I'm familiar with this like huge study that was done that uh, a lot of people in like in social relations uh, fields like to cite, which is yeah, if you if you look at um, social relationship quality, uh, and quantity, um, having stronger social ties is a better predictor of lower mortality than even some of the typical, like, lifestyle, uh, risks such as smoking, uh, air pollution, um, yeah, like other, like exercise, things like that. So things that you, you know, common knowledge, we know, okay, smoking is bad for your health. Exercising is good for your health. Like those are strong to some extent. And then social relationships, the quality of them like beats all of that, or is is equal to, or beats um, the effects of all of those. So that's very valid, but I, so yeah. So the takeaway then is it's the quality of the relationship. So um, in, in a lot of, in certain cultures, I'm sure there might be, uh, that might be like more culturally enforced, but it is up to a family. It is up to the individual to, uh, invest in the, the relationship to make it fulfilling for themselves and fulfilling for the other. Um, so yeah. And that, that goes for like older adults as well as 
you know, uh, across the lifespan. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so interesting that you were making the statement for, of quantity of social relationship versus quality of social relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I wonder about that balance too, right? So with intergenerational households, there might be a high amount of quantity of time spent, but is that quality of communication and empathy and care and compassion deep and nuanced and healthy or it like, cause that's more, more Eastern is, and then Western is more at the age of 18 or even your twenties or thirties, you move out, get your own place in the same state or not in the same state. And then, then your relationship becomes either phone calls, FaceTimes and at what age is that okay to do until like someone gets to a certain past you said after 85 it kind of possibly yeah. takes a bit of a downhill like when and what's that balance I'm kind of yeah it's just an open-ended curious question yeah yeah I like I like thinking about that I think it's it's important too it's one of the reasons that I actually wanted to move to be closer to my parents in New Jersey mm. too and I, I wonder if you guys both of you like think about this much and uh, have have made any decisions like that because um, I don't know I think like yeah we're, we're probably all at the age where we're seeing signs of aging in our parents um, and so yeah. It, yeah I think I don't know Hugh have you been thinking about this at all from that perspective uh, yeah so truth be told my dad's 93 okay and so my mom's about 20 years younger and it's just been interesting. Yeah. There's been a lot of moments in my life where, you know, it, when, when I'm in high school, dad has a stroke and you're a first responder and stuff like that and mm -hmm. transience and temporality and mor mortality mm -hmm. come into play at an early age, not mm -hmm. that early, but yeah, it's always been interesting. And that's why I moved back from Airbnb in San Francisco because dad was really sick, like in 2017. Oh, wow. And so yeah, I, I was living in at home until this month, you know, and mm -hmm. so now, but I'm still in the state. So I, it's been interesting trying to navigate. I don't know how public this really is, but whatever, uh, you know, it's been interesting how to navigate. I, I don't think I can allow myself to move out of state or country at this yeah. point in my life. Yeah. I know that my mom and dad are doing an amazing job together. Mom is just like physical therapy for dad daily. And, oh. you know, and we are oh. always, they're incredible. But then there also comes that point in time as a young adult where it's like, I've been struggling a lot personally recently, mm -hmm. a lot too regarding intergenerational dynamics, intergenerational mm -hmm. expectations, intergenerational mm -hmm. possible trauma you know, and possible communication issues, and then also love and compassion and all of that and things that you feel like some people feel obligated or indebted, or you always give for the family, or what mm -hmm. is it for the self? And there's mm -hmm. that whole us, me, we, they, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been really, it's been really difficult for me to kind of <laughs> try to I, it's interesting. It's just, it's really hard to know that any day could be the last, but also it could be 10 years. 
mm-hmm. that dad stays alive, you know, and he's healthy and he's a great goober. He came on the podcast two times already, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it, it is, it is tough trying to find that personal space, a personal balance. What do I not feel guilty about yeah. as an American born yeah. mixed blood? Uh, and honestly, it's been really difficult <laughs> to find wow. that, but I'm wow. 20 minutes drive away. So that's what I keep telling myself. And I had him over for dinner two <laughs> nights ago and I made a steak, you know, I grilled oh some God. stuff up. So <laughs> like, it, it's close. Mom, literally last night I fell asleep on the couch and she, like, I heard a rapping at the window and I was like, am I being robbed? Oh my God. <laughs> and then it like happened again because my doorbell broke. I need to oh. fix it. But I was just like, oh, it's mom. Oh, cool. And then she like brought food with dad. They went out to dinner. So oh. I'm like right there. But wow. I also do worry sometimes where it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be there as much. Right. Like how does yeah. dad who's got mom, myself and my sister and, and very few other friends because almost everyone else has passed. Right. Mm-hmm. How do we and that's something very important to me is like since 2017 especially when I moved back is like how does one make sure that our elder generation is taken care of they're not given off to cheap or expensive there's very different ones of elderly care homes yeah they care or don't care and then luckily dad has a mom who you know marry young you know no just kidding but (laughs) no don't do that I'm kidding but uh, but (laughs) no so it's been it's been interesting all wow. of that. that was a soliloquy. <laughs> no, thank you so much for sharing that. That's um, yeah, yeah, taking it in. I, I think, I think it's very clear that you have been very intentional and thoughtful about the way that you can relate to and care for both your parents and just like be there as a strong presence in the midst of all the changes and like. Um, aging and ultimately dying process. Um, and I'm sure that's noticed and, and like appreciated by your family. Yeah. Um, woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I have to say like, yeah, we can think about this all we want and like read all we want about the, the findings and um, all of that. But everything that I've learned uh, through grad school, um, it's made me realize like, you know, when you yourself face uh, aging and dying of your loved ones and like grieving, uh, nothing can really prepare you. And you have to just like act in a way that's uh, true to your heart and your family and like the individual ties. And um, yeah, I don't know, I feel like, (laughs) there's, there's the research and then there's true experience, like the individual experience and nothing, nothing can actually prepare you, uh, for it, but yeah, just gotta go through it. Heavy, heavy subject talking about death, uh, <laughs> like the family and, and all of that, but we, we did have a, we did have a doctor, uh, Ben, mm. the Canadian doctor and, one, one thing he wanted to, I think he wanted more time to talk about it, but the, it was like the topic of death. And at, at what point do you just let the, just let, just let it happen? Mm. Oh yeah. And yeah, it, it's, it's tough. Cause it's, 
even if even if you're the person dying it's not just a you decision yeah but uh yeah i mean hugh whatever whatever is going on in your head uh think like yeah we're we're fully aware of uh what what your values are and it, it like i don't like i wouldn't be so hard on yourself for for like what you did or how you did it because mm -hmm. yeah i mean yeah yeah just finding balance in the end <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i actually just um recently felt like something minorly like parallel to I guess just like a an example of the theme that you're getting at too um so over the fourth of July just like two weeks ago uh I was uh, on a trip I went to Iceland uh with a close college friend it was wonderful it was so so fun did so much hiking and like really enjoyed it all I came back um and the night I came back, I called my parents and they were like, by the way, we've had COVID. Uh, we got it like the day that you left and we didn't want to tell you um, because we didn't want you to worry. Uh, and I was like, had all this, all these mixed emotions of like, what? I was like sending you freaking like videos of sheep, like, and you were telling me that you were, you know, uh, coughing up some blood or like, like, you know having muscle aches and like uh so I felt very guilty about that but I'm like oh they also chose to not tell me they like chose to it was like their act of love that they didn't want me to worry um and then I got COVID <laughs> and so it was just like this whole thing where I was like oh my god like uh yeah I, I was feeling some of the oh I should have should have been there uh, had I known like would I have just hung back and like just been around in case they needed something like should I have checked in more with them and like door dashed them something or um, but yeah I'm actually going to New Jersey to see them this weekend um, and so it'll be it'll be one of those like uh, kind of hopefully validating moments of like now we are both like all three of us are healthy and like the fact that I do live really close and that was a choice um, that I made, like maybe it'll help cancel some of that guilt out, just just my presence being there and like the fact that we can all three be together. Um, I think just like presence uh, means a lot and it weighs a lot, so yeah. I guess there's also not much you could have done yeah. like, other, than, <laughs> other than be like, oh, can I, <laughs> can I like send you some pizza? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, so do you feel like New York City is a is a long term fit for you? I, I guess mm -hmm. helps have family nearby. Helps that there's a giant pharmaceutical industry in yeah. Jersey. <laughs> um, and like it's been it's been a year now, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. so maybe you've had enough time to to get a feel for things. Like how how do you feel? And then also uh, the last topic that you wrote about how I how I tried to build community mm, um so yeah. if you could I'll tie that, that all in. together yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I mean I have been like reflecting a lot because you know the anniversary of me moving here uh I'm like oh do I do I feel at home now like it's totally still a work in progress um I don't feel 
completely settled, but I'm getting there. Um, I, when I moved, I kind of like chose my apartment and neighborhood based on two key things. The main one was proximity to green space. So I live right next to Prospect Park. Mm. Uh, I get to go like walking and running after work. Um, and all, the other basically was that, you know, my apartment has some natural light for my indoor plants. and like, So greenery everywhere. Um, and yeah, it's a easy enough commute to my office. Um, but yeah, I, I just know that like uh, building strong friendships and like community around me will just take time. Like I've been lucky that uh, my friends in LA before I moved here, they like set me up on all these friend dates and they were like, oh, I have this like one friend and like, you would love her, like you, you guys should hang out. And so I have had like a lot of um, people that I've been lucky to like vibe with and um, uh, I've felt our friendships deepen and uh, Jackie included, you know, it, it's been, it's been really great. Like I felt, um, I felt very lucky about that, but I also do feel like sometimes oh my friends don't all know each other there's there's not as much cohesion uh it's it's also still getting there like but it's not it's not quite there yet but uh regardless I do feel like there's enough um of life in New York that I have fallen in love with um for me to stay here uh so as far as I can tell I'm I'm gonna be here <laughs> like I'm not trying to go somewhere else um what are you woohooing about? You're moving away soon, aren't you? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, one of the things that I got to do recently was um, I, yeah, I through, through food, I like to uh, build community. And so uh, I, in LA, when I was there, uh, my friend and I um, used to host these cookbook clubs um, and so they're potlucks and they, they would happen like every month. And, uh, he and I would basically choose one cookbook Ooh. where everyone, all the guests would choose a recipe from that same cookbook and bring it. And so that in, in that one night, um, everyone would kind of get a taste of the whole book. Oh, that's such a cool um, idea. It was so cool. It was so, so cool. I can't take full credit for like coming up with it, but I'm definitely like, I'm a good enough, like organizer of people that we got this going and just like consistently kept having it uh you know different friends would host at their different apartments and like we had all these different themes uh one time we even like went off course and had everyone bring a family recipe which Ooh. was really sweet um got everyone to talk about like memories and things like that but I actually just hosted one uh with my friend Milena um, who I knew in LA and she and I met at one of these cookbook clubs mm. and now she's here, she's in law school and like uh, also was feeling like she wanted to build more of that community. And so we hosted it as a picnic like last week uh, in Brooklyn Bridge Park and it went really well. It was, yeah, it was delicious. We used uh, Molly Boz's cookbook. It's mm. called Cook This Book. <laughs> and we'll put in the links below yeah <laughs> but yeah it was a huge success and it was great for our friends to meet each other um and yeah a beautiful park yeah yeah it was really nice like you know waterfront you see the skyline very New York um so I'm hoping to have more of these and um yeah through I think I just know that like with time uh through things like that 
um, it can, it can all just deepen and get better. So feeling hopeful. All right. I'll be there. Okay. Yay. <laughs> you will be there too. Yes. That'll be our moon tea uh, picnic. We'll, we'll also have a potluck. This is, yes. yes. <laughs> Diana, Diana, we are uh, reaching time and we uh, ask all our guests this, but do you have any words of wisdom and or parting thoughts to our, to our uh, many, many millions of listeners? Just kidding. Seven or eight <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, make it nine with me starting. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, parting thoughts, I guess, yeah, just tying, tying it back to like the importance of uh, high quality social relationships. It takes an investment on your part. Um, and so, um, yeah, give give to the ones you love, give effort, give time, give presence, um, and you will benefit from that and, and everyone will. Um, it's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health and like <laughs> lowered mortality risk. It's, it's just good. Um, and we, we need that these days. So, yeah. Do FaceTimes count and video chats count? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but hugs are even better. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. my. cool. Well, yeah. Diana, thank you so much for coming on to the Moon Tea Podcast. This yes. is a fantastic episode. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, thank and, you guys so much for having me. Um, this was a lovely experience. I'm so glad I got to meet you and spend more time with you, John. So, yeah. Awesome. awesome. And then the final thing is, is there anything you want to give a shout out to or anything you'd want to wrap up? I don't Burn know. Sanctuary. Yeah, Wild Bird <laughs> yeah. Fund. They do such good work. So such that. such an interesting organization and a strong need. So yeah. All right, people, check it out. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> with that, we have come to uh, the close of another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast, where this is a podcast where we talk about craft, community, and building meaningful careers. Please tune in next time. Who knows what next time will be, but hopefully very soon. And please, if you ever have any cool other guests to recommend our way, we are <laughs> becoming, it's becoming harder and harder to find us. <laughs> so please reach out, <laughs> text us or email us at moodtpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> please. I have some people for you guys, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh my God. Yeah, no, really. John and I were just talking today. We're like, uh, John's been killing it. I've run out of people. I'm the, I, oh, I'm, I need to find more community, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Anywho, take it easy, everybody. Thank you again to Hannah and tune in next time. See ya. Peace. Bye. Peace. Peace.